I don't believe in no one's scenarios. Data, 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 I cannot make bricks without clay. I don't know where you get your delusions, laser brain. <laughs> Hello and welcome to a special Cheeky Scientist radio show. Today I'm talking to you about how to get hired when it's urgent. Had a conversation with a PhD recently, one of many, 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 I would say thousands of these conversations that I've had over the, over the na- last nine plus years. Uh, when do you need to get hired is what I asked. Yesterday is what they replied. And, uh, you know, meaning... We, I need to get hired extremely quickly. Like I'm already out of a job. So uh, the person's name was Sarah and she was working for free. I'm seeing this more and more. You might be as well. You might know somebody that's working in your department, your lab, somebody who graduated or lost their postdoc who's working for free. Now, this is something that I think is extremely, I want to use a word that's going to invoke something in you. I think it is a pathetic situation to be in. Now, pathetic should invoke a response to you, especially if you're one of those people working for free, or if you're one of these PhDs who is unemployed. You cannot get comfortable with being spending all of that time being trained at the highest level and allowing yourself to work for free. That means you're not having an impact. What you're doing is not, is not valuable. It's so not valuable that you're not being paid anything for it. And if you're unemployed, you have to find a way out. It's up to you. It's in your own hands. And I understand where you've been. I can, and I feel the need to talk about this so openly because I've been in that situation myself. We all know what it's like to be in academia and underpaid, seeing people we went to undergrad with who very likely worked less harder, less hard uh, than, than we did in undergrad, who graduated beneath us. And, you know, who maybe we even helped tutor, help them study, you know, we got grades above them, but we're, we're in academia held back and their careers. I mean, they have careers in the first place. We're still in this training position and it seems to get worse and worse. And our options in academia seem to go away with every passing day. The situation that I was in when I was a PhD student is very similar to the situation a lot of PhD students and postdocs are facing today. There's been an upheaval in the economy, the job market, the world. When I was a PhD student, it was called the global financial crisis, uh, the GFC or the Great Recession. There was all kinds of names for it, but it was very similar to what's happening today. And the effects lasted five, six, seven years, depending on which metrics you were looking at. You know, so I, I have the foresight to be able to see now that what is happening currently, whether it's increasing inflation, uh, decreasing wages and all the cuts that happen in academia, this upheaval in a similar way will uh, have repercussions that will, that will affect uh, the job market, academia for several years to come. So you have to get in front of it. You can't wait around. I, 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 a lot of PhDs I talk to are waiting for things to get back the way they were. They're never going back to the way they were. You're, you're, you're going to have less, you, you have less op- options today in academia than you did, and you will continue to have fewer and fewer options in academia. So don't wait until it's urgent. That's my first message to you. Don't wait until you defend your thesis. So Sarah, 
who I talked to, I'm not going to use her last name. Uh, she did what a lot of PhDs do, a lot of PhD students. She said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to focus on getting everything I need to get done in the lab. She worked in a lab. She's a STEM PhD. I'm going to focus on everything that I need to get done in the lab first. Then I will write my thesis. You know, I'll likely have to do both of those. She was trying to wrap up a paper, writing her thesis at the same time. And that's just so overwhelming. And I got to keep my PI happy, right? Because we see our PIs as, as like these, these demigods and you have these little kingdoms because we're living in a bubble. And a lot, of our, a lot of these labs have a few people in them at most. That was my case. And so we see them as, you know, them being happy with us or tolerating us or even being neutral with us as some sort of key to our career progress when in rea reality they have no power over our future if, if we've decided to go into industry. There's no letter of recommendation for industry. What they say doesn't matter. And so we, we got to change the way that we're, we're you know, our priorities and what we're spending our time on. But Sarah, like most PhD students, most postdocs, they were focused just on getting their papers or thesis done. And then she said, okay, once I get my thesis done, I'm going to focus on my defense, of course, and that's all I'm going to focus on. And then I'll focus on my job search or my career. Oops. What does that lead to? It leads to defending getting your PhD, graduating, and not having any job and not having any idea how to get a job. And then when you finally start to see just how challenging or robust or what the scale or the scope of an actual industry job search is, it's too late. You're in an extremely urgent situation. And what do people do when they're in an extremely urgent situation? Not the kind of healthy urgency that you can initiate in yourself to drive you to execute and to take action and to hit a deadline. Right, the same kind of urgency we a lot of us used for writing to hit our writing deadlines. No, but the the damaging, the destructive urgency, desperation. Okay, desperation. So that's where Sarah was when I talked to her, working for free for her PI and scrambling to find a job that would pay her. I saw this writing on the wall when I was in graduate school. I saw horrible things. In terms of the careers of those that surrounded me, there was a graduate student that got into my lab before me, uh, didn't have any career prospects, kind of sunk into really a state of depression. My own PI and even one of her thesis committee members started to slowly withdraw support. Like they they didn't rush into help or to help the person, you know, help this person change course, but they further isolated her and eventually she was squeezed out of the program and was forced to leave. That was, my first, that was my first kind of wake-up call. Something similar happened to a postdoc in the lab that I worked in. And then another postdoc that was ahead of me, I saw him focus intensely on graduating. And I saw him scramble after his defense, uploading resumes, not knowing what to do, couldn't get a job, hundreds of resumes. I was very close to this particular person. And so I, I had a front row seat you know, and I, you have to look around to what those that are a year or two uh, ahead of you, as well as those that are a little bit further ahead, what's happening to them. But there's people around you working for free, right? You're next in line for that. If there's people that ended up unemployed or finally just gave in and took a, a low paying postdoc or another low paying postdoc, you have to say, I'm not immune to this. This is the path that I'm marching towards that I need to do something different or I'm going to end up the same way. I have to do something substantially different or I'm going to end up the same way. 
And that's the, those are the alarm bells that started going off inside of me. And I started thinking, I, like, I, I, I started to feel the panic earlier. Most people will wait to feel that panic until they defend. And then it becomes so overwhelming that they just want the massive pain to go away. So they take that low paying postdoc or that second or third one. That's what I want you to avoid. I don't want you to work for free. I don't want you to end up unemployed. I want you to have several jobs lined up when you graduate, or I want you to have several jobs lined up now before your postdoc ends or before something out of your control happens. Look at all of the adjuncts, all of the postdocs who lost their positions just in the last 18 months. You don't know what you don't know. In the field of project management in industry, there's a subfield called risk management. And there, you know, within the, this field, this subfield of risk management, there are known unknowns you prepare for and known unknowns. Most of us don't even prepare for the known unknowns. If you think back to the pandemic, a known unknown would have been, okay, there's been epidemics before, even pandemics. That's a known unknown that you could have prepared for. But there had never been worldwide lockdowns before. That's an unknown unknown. You do not know what the future holds. So you have to take your career into your own hands. Now you have to start preparing options for yourself. Now, I see this happen again, time and time again. I see postdocs and adjuncts who thought they would have plenty of time to prepare for the next step in their career. Suddenly realize that, oh, I ran out of funding or my lab ran out of, out of funding. I was released from my lab or my department or my university, right? This is for interdisciplinary PhDs as well, whether you're STEM or non-STEM. Whatever your background is, the academic system is broken. So you can't trust that system anymore. You need a strategy for the next step in your career, and you better be executing that strategy. You better have prioritized it. If not, a strategy will be chosen for you, the strategy of desperation. So what is the desperate job search strategy that most PhDs follow? Well, let's back up. So uh, uh, earlier I told you, Sarah, right? She, she ended up working for free. Uh, you know, I, I at least implied she wasn't taking any actions to get hired. That wasn't entirely true. She did take a couple of actions, uh, but those actions didn't help her. They actually burnt bridges and made it harder for her to get hired. What did she do? She uploaded exactly, and she kept count, right? Like a good PhD, probably in a lab notebook. <laughs> she kept count uh, 114 resumes she uploaded to various job postings, uh, and then she spammed a bunch of connections on LinkedIn, right? Usually with a, she showed me this, a two paragraph message that talked about her credentials and skills a lot, and then asked the person on the receiving end, uh, please get me a job at this company. In some cases, please review my resume, which she attached. Please never do this. Okay. First, many employers will not consider you for a job at their company for six to 12 months after considering your application and rejecting it. So if you're uploading resumes and you're, you like, you said, okay, I targeted my first resume. It was exhausting to write. And a resume can be exhausting to write because of all the decisions that have to go into it. Something, there's something called willpower depletion that takes place. And then on top of that, when you target your resume, you work hard on it, you upload it, you don't hear anything back. You condition yourself, right? Learned helplessness. You think that no matter what work you do on your resume, it's not going to pay off. So you stop targeting your resume and then we, you revert to, the, the very desperate, sad methodology of uploading your resume everywhere, the same resume to every site. But again, there's, there's a risk to doing that. You don't just get to upload your resume and say, aha, I got a better resume now. I'm going to upload this one. 
or, okay, I'm not going after that position anymore. I'm going to go after a different position. Okay. Th these resumes you're uploading online in bulk are being read by employers or they're being read by their, their software systems, their applicant tracking system software systems, right? The ATS software. And these employers are rejecting your application or the software is without telling you. And then they're marking your contact information in their system to prevent you from being considered for any job in the future. Think about that. Why would an employer reject one application from a job candidate and then a few months later, let alone a few weeks or a few days, want to spend energy considering that same candidate again? Okay? Think about that. They wouldn't. Now, by the way, employers do the same thing to your candidacy on LinkedIn Recruiter or LinkedIn Talent Insights. This is the LinkedIn that employers use. Why do you think there's so many people that have looked at your LinkedIn profile that never reached out to you? Very often, they are hiring managers, recruiters, or employers. They could have different job titles like operations managers, et cetera, executives, department heads. You don't know. They could be looking at your profile for somebody else. They could have been hired as a third party. They're coming to your profile either way. They're not being impressed. They don't see industry candidate. They see academic or somebody who has no industry credibility and they mark your profile. Usually, again, in LinkedIn Recruiter or LinkedIn Talent, as in don't consider this person's LinkedIn profile. And again, for six to 12 months, there is a risk to what you are doing. You can't burn bridges. You can't just execute a trial and error desperation job search. Now, when it comes to spamming contacts on LinkedIn, sending them messages that you have not thought through very carefully, you're also burning, burning bridges, right? They're, these contacts, they're never going to reply to you in the future after you bombard them with your professional life story and then ask them for free help, right? And that message will stay on LinkedIn so that if you ever message them again or they ever try to message you, they're going to see that message or they'll see that you deleted it, which is always weird and makes, you know, it just makes you untrustworthy. Don't delete your messages. Just send the, the right message in the first place. The bottom line is your, your actions, right? When it comes to your job search, they have consequences in the job market. So if you need a job now or yesterday, right? Urgently, you have to execute an intelligent, albeit urgent job search. And, and there's 14 steps and I mapped out these 14 steps for doing so. I really wanted to go through them with you because I get, not only do I have people, PhDs tell me all the time, hey, I need a job urgently. I have a lot of PhDs tell me, Isaiah, what, just tell me the steps. What are the, what are the key steps I need to follow? Right? What, what are, what's the, what a lot of them are asking is what's the bare minimum or the most important steps? So I tried to be as concise as possible. I'm going to go through all 14 of these very quickly for you. Number one, let's say you need a job. You're unemployed right now. You're about to be unemployed. You're about to graduate. You have no job. This is what I would do. And I think you can execute all of this in about two weeks and you can make real progress. Number one, identify two related job titles that interest you and commit to them for the next two weeks. So when it comes to a transition, PhDs get stuck before they even start because they can't make up their mind on which career tracks right for them, or they don't even know which career tracks are possible. They have no framework. They don't know the job titles. And they, mostly because they've refused to research their options. Like how hard is it to use a search engine to research companies and go to LinkedIn, look at the companies and see what the job titles are for the people that work at those companies. It's easy. Do it. 
Even PhDs who initially decide on a career path keep changing their minds. Stop doing this. Pick two job titles. If you go to any search engine and search cheeky scientist, 43 career tracks and salaries, any of those keywords together, you're going to get an article that's going to show you the five major career tracks, all the job titles in those career tracks, and the salaries. Choose two of them and stick with them for two weeks. Step number two, build a strong case for why you're the best candidate. I have been talking about this a lot, particularly on these radio shows. You have to build a case for why an employer should hire you. PhDs that have been in academia for their whole lives, though, they love to talk themselves out of getting hired. Even worse, they love to talk employers out of hiring them. I've sat on so many different panel interviews where the hiring manager right, that's attending asks the PhD if they have a particular skill or you know, if they can do something, and the PhD says no. Like, just no, no period. That's it. Are you serious? How about not yet? But here is how I would learn to do that skill. Or not that specific skill, or not those specific skills, but I do have XYZ skills, which are highly relevant. Or on top of this, my training, right? What if, what if you said, I don't have that skill, but my training as a PhD has given me an edge in terms of comprehension and work ethic, and I can learn this skill on the job very quickly. Build a case first for yourself, right? You have to do it for yourself first, only then can you communicate it when you talk to an employer. Avoid confirmation bias when it comes to data, information. Yes, okay, great, your work, but not when it comes to you. If you don't believe you're the best job candidate for the job, how are you going to convince anybody else? Number three, create a list of 50 companies. This is going to be the, the, the shortest list you've ever created on a spreadsheet compared to what you've done in your classwork or your lesson plans or uh, protocols in the lab. You can do this. Create a list of 50 companies who have the two job titles you chose, okay? Whether or not they have posted job openings. Most jobs are not even posted online, so don't worry about that. It's called LinkedIn. 96% of companies have a page on it. Use it. You can start by performing a basic web search. Just use long-tail keywords like small biotech companies in the greater Boston area or mid-sized engineering firms in the UK, all right? Small in industries, 100 to 1,000 employees. Mid-size is a thousand to several thousand. There, in whatever country you're in, there's very likely millions, yes, millions of employers that would hire you, that have jobs that you could do at the PhD level. Millions. There's 60 plus million in the US, 30 plus million in the UK, on and on, right? Stop just searching top companies or best companies. By doing this, you'll find lists and list after list of companies that will that you can search on LinkedIn. Number four, catalog one decision maker or gatekeeper at each company. So a gatekeeper is a hiring manager, recruiter, talent acquisition specialist, somebody in HR. So go to the LinkedIn, the company page uh, on LinkedIn, click the little link that shows you all the employees of that company, and then do an advanced search, which you can do all this for free, where you look, you can search the job title for phrases like hiring for hiring manager or talent for talent acquisition, or recruiter, or recruitment, or HR, or human resources, or just resources. If it's a small company and they don't have a gatekeeper, then search a decision maker. Try searching people in operations, operations manager, COO, or a director, executive. Get a decision maker, put it on that same list with those 50 companies. Then find a second contact at that same company, a professional that's in a position similar to the one you want to get into. 
I call this a, a proximal connection, right? Or a lateral connection. Really, it can be both proximal and lateral. Ideally, it should be both. So if you want to get into a research scientist job, connect with other research scientists at the company, especially those that have a PhD. They understand the struggle. At least somebody in a lateral position, like an application scientist or product manager. Now you have the company, their information on LinkedIn. It'll also show if that company has any job postings, but again, that's not relevant, but it is on the company's homepage. And you have two contacts at that company now. So before you start reaching out, I do want you to move to step six, which is reformatting your resume into a two-page functional resume. It's a must for PhDs, especially those that do not have industry experience or those of you that are changing industries, or if you have not worked in a particular industry or, or an industry at all since getting your PhD, just do a web search, right? Go to any search engine, search functional resume format, cheeky scientist. Everything you need to know has been written for you on one of our previous articles. Number seven, rewrite your LinkedIn headline to include the two job titles, right? That you chose and three transferable skills related to those titles. So 80, over 80% of the keyword strength on your LinkedIn profile lies in the LinkedIn headline. Your headline though, it's not your current job title. So if you want to be a data scientist, you can put data scientist in your headline. It's not a list of your experiences either. Okay. So it's just simply a place where you are supposed to put the words you want to be found for. That's it. And then try to find three transferable skills as well. Right. So like statistics, machine learning. Okay. They can be technical skills, but I would love for you to find three transferable skills because those are the skills that the hiring managers, the gatekeepers understand and will search first. So they'll search like data analysis, even before they'll search machine learning. Number eight, write out your LinkedIn summary section as a first person narrative that ends in your email address. Many industry employers, again, they use LinkedIn Recruiter, LinkedIn Talent Insights, which means they have to pay for every in-mail message that they send to you or any other job candidate. But guess what? You can help them hack the system by putting your email address at the bottom of your summary section. So, and you can contact me at colon space, paragraph space, email address. So it's hanging off at the end there. It jumps out at them. Now they can contact you for free. They love this. Number 10, use hunter.io. So if you go to hunter.io, it's a software program or any similar software is fine, where you can find professional email addresses of your new LinkedIn contacts. This will become important when we move to step 11, which is email each contact the following five sentence networking script. Okay. Now you want to do this after you reach out on LinkedIn. This is very important to do. So I think I, I did I skip step nine? I think I skipped step nine. So let me back up. After you complete your resume, you reformat it into a functional resume format. Okay. That was step seven. No, that was all the way back at step six. I'm moving so fast. So step six was reformat your resume into a two-page functional resume. Number seven was rewrite your LinkedIn headline to include the two job titles and the three transferable skills. Number eight was to write out your LinkedIn summary section as a first-person narrative that ends in your email address. Now we're moving on to step nine. So everything from here on out is about reaching out to these contacts. So if you, if you zoom out of this process, you're trying to get hired ur urgently. There's really three overall core parts of this process. So there's, there's 14 steps that I'm giving you, but if you look at it in terms of three parts, number one is really just aggregating information, 
finding out the companies, uh, you know, the job titles, the companies you want to uh, work in and work at, people that are at those companies, aggregation. The, the middle part is about getting your professional profiles done uh, and focusing on the, the low-hanging fruit, reformatting your resume into a functional resume format. A functional resume format, in short, is not chronological, not reverse chronological, but taking your most, your most relevant skills and pushing them to the top of the work experience section. And instead of using your academic job titles, you're using a transferable skill or technical skill bolded at the top. So you would say, you know, um, mRNA expertise. And then underneath that, gained as a graduate research assistant at XYZ University. Could be a transferable skill too. Like project management, underneath it, gained as a postdoctoral research fellow. So they don't see at the top. Instead, they, you know, usually they'll see graduate research assistant, postdoctoral fellow, and not read any further. That's what makes a functional format so valuable. And the, the functional format's been around for decades. Okay, this is this is normal. It's not it's not illegal. It's not bad. It's a, it's a very good, and it's exactly what you should be using, especially if you don't have industry experience. The other low hanging fruit was adjusting your LinkedIn headline and summary. Now, once you have your professional profiles done, you want to start connecting with people. The reason we do it in this order is because when you start connecting with people on LinkedIn or otherwise, once they connect back, you have a new problem. What do you say? Is your resume ready? They're gonna, they might even go to your LinkedIn profile before responding to you. Does it display credibility so that they will respond to you? So we want to have those things ready before you start reaching out. Now, step nine, which I originally skipped, step nine is to reach out to each LinkedIn contact from step five, right, as well as step four the decision maker or gatekeeper and the professional that's in that proximal lateral position, reach out to each of those new contacts with the following four sentence script when connecting. And that's what I'm going to give to you right now. Okay. This four sentence script when connecting. So hi, first name, congratulations on your success at the company name. I have my PhD or I am getting my PhD in relevant field. And I say relevant field because you can uh, zoom out of the niche specific field, right? You, you might have uh, a background, like it might be, a, you might be in engineering, but it's quantum computing is your specialty, et cetera. But maybe this person isn't in quantum computing or the field that you want to get into or the company's in isn't exactly quantum computing, but it is relevant for uh, engineering or programming. You could say that, right? Maybe you have a, a your your specialty is B cell development within immunology, which is also also just within life sciences. You may you may want to say I have a PhD in the life sciences, depending on the person you're reaching out to, right? And, and the specific field you, you may not want to get too niche. That's why I say relevant field. So let me start again. Hi, first name. Congratulations on your success at company name. I have or I am getting my PhD in relevant field and thought to connect. Can I ask what's one thing you enjoy about working at company name? No worries if you're busy and then dash your name. That's it. So when you're reaching out to connect, right, you want to connect with someone, but don't just press, press the blue connection button. You want to have a little script added as well. And so that's the script that you want to include. And there's, uh, there's plenty of characters left over. There's like 50 characters left over. So you'll have no problem using that script. So reach out on LinkedIn first with that script. Now, if they accept your connection request, 
and they don't respond to that message, I recommend sending the exact same message again after they connect. Very often, depending on, you know, really the day for LinkedIn and LinkedIn's algorithm, if they accept a connection request, uh, that, you know, they might, they might accept it several days later, and then it will go into their message inbox, your, whatever the message is that you sent with the connection request, but it could be backdated, right? So it could get buried in their inbox. So I recommend sending the exact same message again. If you notice they accept your connection request, wait a day. If they don't respond, just send the exact same message again, exactly the same. Then step number 10, you don't want to just connect with them on LinkedIn. You want to get their email address and reach out to them by email as well. If this seems too assertive for you, stay tuned for the end. I'm going to tell you why it's not and why you need to adjust your mindset. This is the, the norm, the social norm in industry. So you, number 10, use Hunter IO or similar software to find the professional email address of your new LinkedIn contacts. So you can do step 11, which is email each contact this following five sentence networking script two days after your LinkedIn message. Now, if you're reaching out to somebody on LinkedIn, you want to wait about a week, depending on how urgent your job search is a week, ideally. But because your job search is urgent, we want to, we want to shorten these timelines. So instead of reaching out on LinkedIn alone, we also want to email them because it comes off as less aggressive if you send a LinkedIn message every seven days, but also an email message every seven days and they're staggered. So really every three days you're connecting with the person, but because you're using two different channels, it comes across as much less aggressive. This is a pro tip. Okay. So what is the email script? This script is brand new. I see PhDs using it. It's extremely effective. It's our most effective email script right now. I'm going to share it with you. Are you ready? The email subject line is LinkedIn volunteer experience or LinkedIn influencer and a question mark. Like if, if, if you don't mention something personal about them in the email subject line and there's no intrigue, they're not going to open your email, especially if they don't know you. So let's say they volunteer for Habitat for Humanity. You would type in Habitat for Humanity question mark. They follow an influencer like uh, who's one I saw the other day, um, Richard Branson. That's an example that I use, uh, put Richard Branson question mark. All right. Then here's the body of the email. Hello. First name we are. And then in parentheses, almost connected on LinkedIn. And I thought to send you an email to introduce myself because I'm very interested in the work that's being done at company name. Could you please point me in the right direction of who I could talk with about what it's like to work at company name or who's in charge of hiring? Now, this is an email, so it's, it's a bit more formal, but still very casual, just like the LinkedIn message. You want it to be short and casual. You want to respect the thing that they value most in industry, which is time. So not, don't make it too formal and make it short. So again, could you please point me in the right direction of who I, can, who I could talk with about what it's like to work at company name or who's in charge of hiring? I know how busy you must be and deeply appreciate your help. Congratulations again on your success at company name. Thank you. And no worries if you're too busy to respond right now. Best regards, your name and then PhD or PhD candidate. Then there's the PS. Don't forget the PS. We always like to add a good PS with a question. Now, this is where the subject line comes in. I saw you volunteer with, right? Whatever their volunteer experience is. What do you find most rewarding? Right, you're taking a personal interest. 
Just the other day, I had somebody in one of our advanced one-on-one training programs, which uh, we call the Cheeky Scientist Association Diamond Training Program. We have a new diamond training program. If you're interested in that, by the way, you can email support at cheekyscientist.com with the subject line diamond. And you can talk with one of our transition specialists about your options and where you're stuck uh, in your job search. It's, uh, it's not for everyone and, and it has to be the right fit, but it, it is something I'm doing again. I'm working one-on-one with PhDs again. So you can email support at cheekyscientist.com with diamond in the subject line. I wanted to mention that since we're talking about emails, but the PS is powerful, right? The most read part of any email is the email subject line, which you're connecting here to the second most part read of any email, which is the PS. Now, if they didn't have their volunteer experience listed, they'll likely have uh, an influence, like they'll follow some influencers on LinkedIn or they'll follow, uh, they'll have some interests listed. You can use one of those. And then another script could be in the PS. Have you seen this new article, book, video, or other media by them, right? So you would say, I saw that, I saw you follow LinkedIn influencer, right? I saw you follow Richard Branson. Have you seen this new article, book, video, other media by them? That's it. Short and sweet. Very simple. Just triggered to just written to get uh, to trigger a response. Number twelve. When you get a reply from any of your contacts, request an informal, very important informal informational interview using the following five sentence script. Using the following five sentence script. Thank you very much for getting back to me. First name. I really appreciate it, and I enjoyed what you said about previous topic and would love to hear more, right? So whatever they responded with in their message, you're, you're referring back to that. You want to keep the chain of rapport going. I have made a, uh, oh, I have to make a few work calls tomorrow around insert a time and was wondering if we could jump on the phone for two minutes so I could ask you two quick questions about what it's like to work at company name and how you got hired there. Does this time work? Question mark. I can also do time B or time C. Thank you either way, your name. Notice all of these scripts are meant to lower pressure, to decrease right the activation energy it takes for them to say yes and to not do any of these tricks where you're like looking forward to hear your response. No, no worries if you're too busy to respond. Thank you either way. Kindness. You're trying to invoke right the law of reciprocation where you're kind and you're making it easy. You're somebody who's agreeable. There's no pressure here. Do not add pressure. These scripts are written exactly to reduce pressure and to save them time and to make it easy for them to say, yes, they've been tested thousands and thousands of times. Variations of them have. And these are the ones that are working the best right now. So go back, rewind if you have to. I'm probably going to put this in a blog article. So if you go to cheekyscientist.com um, and you go under our resources page, you can find our blog or you can just go to Cheeky Scientist. Uh, .com. Let me see. I'll actually get the exact. There you go. Cheekyscientist.com slash blog. I think I would have remembered that. Cheekyscientist.com uh, cheeky slash blog. I'll, I'll write all of these out for you so you can uh, copy and paste them and use them uh, if you happen to be in an urgent situation. Number 13, two more steps left. Number 13, ask these four setup questions and at least one lead generation question on any informational interview that you secure. First, ask all four of these, okay? You're going, from, you're going to deeper and deeper levels of professional intimacy. These are done specifically. They're optimized by sequence. Ask all four of these. 
unless they skip ahead on their own to one that's lower. And then you have to ask at least one of the lead generation questions. So the, the four questions, the four setup questions are, what is one thing you enjoy most about working at company name? Very casual question, positively framed. Then ask, what do you find the most challenging? Third, ask, how did you get hired here? Right, so you're going from what do they enjoy? What do they enjoy? What's challenging, right? Slightly deeper level of professional intimacy. And then how did you get hired here right now? Even lower or even deeper in terms of professional intimacy. You're on to how to, not just the, the what questions. And then finally, you're appealing for their specific advice. What advice would you give to someone in my position who really likes company name? I love this question. It's almost one of my favorite movies is the movie Inception, right? Because it's about getting other people to come up with ideas on their own instead of forcing ideas right down their throats, which was what most of us do when we're in desperation mode trying to get a job or similar. But here you're saying, what advice would you give me? Very likely, and I've seen this happen over and over and over again, it's why this works so well, is that they will come up with the idea of giving you advice on how to get hired, specifically at their company. They will come up with the idea of telling you about jobs that are opening up at their company in the future. They will likely come up with the idea of asking you for your resume before you have to even ask. Now, if they don't, just move on and ask at least one of these lead generation questions. Most PhDs freeze here. Don't freeze. Networking, adding value, exchanging value, informational interviews, politely nudging someone to help you in your job search is expected, allowed. It's admired. It's admired. So ask, do you know of any opportunities that might be opening up at company name in the future? Or is there anyone else you would recommend who could tell me more about what it's like to work here? Or finally, could you pass along my resume to the hiring manager? Right? So they're in increasing order of assertiveness, depending on how uh, positively they responded to your previous questions. And if they came up you know, on their own, maybe asking you, you know, how could I help you learn more about the company? Or what could I do? Do you have a resume? I could pass it along for you. Number 14, finally, once you get a job referral using these strategies, prepare for your upcoming interview by mastering the four types of interview questions. You don't have time and it's not productive or really even feasible to remember the perfect answer to every specific question that could be asked of you because there's, there's, no, there's not multiple choice questions on these interviews. Not when you get to a panel interview or a site visit or a phone screen. They're very context specific. Every company has their own language, their own proprietary methodologies. So instead, just memorize the four types of interview questions. That's what's important, okay? The four types of questions, and you'll be asked these, and there are four types. The first type is you're just being asked to establish your credibility. Questions around clarifying your resume to get you talking, right? Maybe accessing any skills you mentioned on your resume. Second type is opinion-based questions. You know, what do you think your greatest strengths are? What's your biggest weakness? Uh, what kind of management style do you prefer to work for? Third is behavioral. They want to see how you react. They want to put you under stress. Can you tell me about a time when you had to, uh, when you had a stressful situation? How did you cope with it? Tell me about a situation where you had a conflict with your, your boss, your PI, your supervisor. What happened? And the fourth and finally, competency. 
Like this might be, you know, if you had these reagents, how would you set up an experiment? Or how might you go about finding an answer to this question or this hypothesis, depending on what the job is? Credibility, opinion, behavior, competency. Credibility and competency are usually the shortest. They'll spend the least amount of time on this. Maybe even just five minutes. You likely will get one competency-based question that's in detail. That's a, a more of a rigorous question. The, the bulk of their time is spent on the opinion and especially the behavioral-based questions. So be prepared for that. Now, if you're thinking, wow, these steps, they seem like a lot. They seem really assertive. Like I have to move quickly. Like I have to aggregate a lot of information. I have to make a lot of updates. I have to reach out to people and find different channels to reach out to them to. Yes, to all of that. Top employers do not hand out you know, the industry average salary for PhDs, which is $91,112, according to science, to just anyone. You have to work for it. You have to discard the academic mindset, the academic social norms you're used to following, like the norm of never reaching out to the same person more than once. Okay? You have to understand that networking is the currency of industry. Brevity is the key to effective communication in industry, especially on your resumes and your profiles. And following up is the most sought-after transferable skill in industry, bar none. Hopefully, this helps you. If you need to get a job urgently, urgently maybe you've tried other methods, go to CheekyScientist.com or you can go to PhDsGetHired.com, which will take you right to our flagship program, the informational page for the Cheeky Scientist Association, the world's largest platform dedicated to helping PhDs get hired. The Cheeky Scientist methodology has been published in Nature, the Harvard Business Review, Forbes, Success Magazine, Fast Company, Entrepreneur, and many others. We can get you hired. If you're interested in working with me one-on-one -on -one directly, and you think the timing might line up when I have spots open and, and when you'll need to get a job, or if you need to get a job ur urgently, email support at cheekyscientist.com with diamond in the subject line. And then our transition specialist will take it from there. As always, remember your value as a PhD and start thinking and acting like a successful industry professional. I'm Isaiah Henkel, the founder of Cheeky Scientist and the creator of the Cheeky Scientist Association. I wanted to quickly tell you that memberships into the association are available to PhDs listening to Cheeky Scientist Radio by using the coupon code CheekyRadio at www.phdsgethired.com. That's phdsgethired.com, P-H-D-S-G-E-T-H-I-R-E-D.com. Simply type phdsgethired.com into your website browser Scroll down to the orange membership button and click on it, then enter the coupon code CheekyRadio to get 20% off a lifetime membership now. That's CheekyRadio, C-H-E-E-K-Y-R-A-D-I-O. Remember your value as a PhD and start thinking and acting like a successful industry professional. Are you worried about the rapidly shrinking job market? Like me, have you been seeing more and more articles on universities shutting down their research labs, furloughing employees, cutting postdocs and TAs, and even withdrawing PhD student funding? If so, it might be wise to start taking steps to protect your PhD career. You've worked very hard and very intelligently for years to establish yourself 
but likely you have not reached your full career potential yet. Perhaps you're not even getting respect and you're not getting the rewards that you deserve. The good news is you can get into an industry career where you can get paid well for doing meaningful work. All you need is the right knowledge and the right network. The Cheeky Scientist Association gives you lifetime access to the world's number one PhD-only job search training platform with multiple courses and the PhD-only job referral network of over 10,000-plus industry PhDs. Now is your chance to become a lifetime member for 20% off of the association. Just use the coupon code CheekyRadio at www.phdsgethired.com. That's phdsgethired.com. P-H-D-S-G-E-T-H-I-R-E-D.com. Simply type phdsgethired.com into your website browser, scroll to the orange membership button, and click on it, then enter the coupon code CheekyRadio to get 20% off a lifetime membership now. No recurring monthly fees, no recurring annual fees, Nobody else offers this. PhDsgethired.com. Use the coupon code CheekyRadio. Remember your value as a PhD, and remember that knowledge is power, and your network is your net worth. Oh, 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 oh